This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. It is the final preview podcast of the season, Logan. Although, as we have been doing recently, we'll talk about some other stuff as well. And today, the other stuff is Jahan Dotson's comments in the locker room yesterday about the commander's culture. Um, very interesting stuff from Jahan. I think there's there's stuff to talk about about the comments themselves. Uh, and there's also kind of the larger question about rebuilding the culture in, in Washington for the commanders, what that looks like, who drives it. Uh, and, and I'd love to get some thoughts from you on kind of experiences in your career in terms of culture, uh, where it was good, where it was bad, what drove it, et cetera. Answer the questions based off your experience. So we'll get to that a little later in the podcast. We start, though, with a preview of Cowboys and Commanders. And the Cowboys come in, uh, obviously, off that big win over the Lions. Controversial win, but they they got it. And I, I think we have to start with their offense and CeeDee Lamb. Uh, just a couple years ago, we were joking about this the other day. We did uh, receiver rankings in the NFC East. And we're mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It's like CeeDee Lamb, actually that guy. And, you know, he was young at the time. Boy, has he matured into that guy. W- what has been so great about CD this year? And would you say that their offense runs through uh, 88 down in Dallas? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that. I mean, like, I think he had 12 catches in the last game against Detroit. Yeah. Like, very productive night. And I think there's been games like that for him throughout the year. You know, gets a lot of third down targets. A lot of kind of these targets in big time moments. I mean... I was talking to Santana about this the other day on uh, on the command center stuff. And basically we were like, he kind of reminds us of like a, a Devontae Adams. Obviously Devontae Adams is a little bit more smooth, a little bit more fluid, but CD's like this bigger, a little bit more physical, but like that short area quickness, the guy that can work the slot, the guy that can win outside is, is what he is. And I think, you know, it's not, it's not only CD. I think CD's doing a lot of really good stuff, but it's Dak's confidence in CD is the other thing that sticks out, right? The trust that they have together, um, has allowed him to be super productive. So, yeah, to me, he's definitely like the piece of that offense that is is the most terrifying. And they have enough other weapons, you know, like Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook? No. What's the uh, Cooks? The receiver? Uh, Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks. There we go. Brandon Dalvin Cooks Cook, is, available, though, uh, yes. by the Jets the other day. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, Brandon Cooks, um, you know, obviously is an explosive playmaker still in his own right. And I think you saw that in the Detroit game. Uh, you know, CD's getting a lot of featured targets. And then there's these explosive plays to cooks. And so I think this is the offense from a receiver standpoint is really dangerous and it's dangerous because your guy, Dak Prescott is doing a great job. So maybe after talking through it a little bit, I would kind of divert and say, it's not CD lamb that runs the offense. 
it's Dak that runs the offense, but I think well, sure. CD's a, a huge, a huge part of that in terms of their success. Obviously, yeah, Dak runs it, but it runs through CD, and I think yeah. that's different than how Dallas operated in the past, where it ran through their run game. Um, and yeah. not that their run game isn't good. Tony Pollard's a good player. Um, they've they've got some other guys that can do a little bit of damage, but the the offense is designed to find targets for CD Lamb and let him be awesome. And yeah. that's the like I love that. Um, you know, get the ball to your good players. Like that is the mantra that we've talked about. Kind of isn't the way this offense runs here. Um, it, we're here. It's more of like let the system decide where the ball goes. For them, they make a concerted effort to ensure that the that CD gets good matchups. That he's yeah. moved around in the slot. He's at X. He's at Z. He's in the slot. You know, he's in motion. They they use some of the short motion stuff that a lot of teams are using now just to kind of get that free release. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really impressive um, for Mike McCarthy. And I'll, I'll mea culpa because I, uh, in the offseason, was basically like, yeah, I think this offense is not going to be very good because Mike McCarthy, um, what he did in Green Bay is like very, let Aaron Rodgers be one of the best quarterbacks you've ever seen. And there ain't a lot of schematic elevation to it. But I think what you... See, is either that that's how Aaron Rodgers wanted it, um, which he has talked about uh, when he's not busy defaming people. Um, but, he, you know, when he's talked about like, hey, I don't really like a lot of motion. I like to just sit back and see the picture and he can decipher it. Right. Um, and so you've either seen that's what Aaron wanted or a kind of growth and, and I don't say maturation like Mike McCarthy's a. 50-something-year-old man, 60-year-old whatever man, like uh, an evolution, that's the word mm-hmm. I'm looking for, in McCarthy's uh, view of offense, and, and he sees how valuable this other stuff is, and, and he's done a great job of using it. So, like, he deserves a ton of credit because Kellen Moore was very, high, very highly thought of, yeah. and getting rid of him in the offseason was kind of a, oh, you guys picked Mike McCarthy over Kellen Moore? And it was a 1,000% the right decision, and, and McCarthy's proven that time and again uh, with a chance to win on Sunday and win the NFC East. Yeah, I think it all goes on a scale because I think when you look at this offense, it's not it's not overly complicated. You know, it's not like, you know, the offenses we've seen as of late, the L.A. Rams, the 49ers. It's not all these shifts and motions and play action. It's a, it's it's compared to that. It's relatively straightforward. But I do think right. to your point, like there is an advantage there when you've got a quarterback who can see it, quarterback that can throw it and a receiver that can win consistently one-on-one matchups. I think that's really what it comes down to is like, you know, CD is a guy that just seems to be able, I know he's drawing good matchups because of how they formation and they use him, but he, he wins. And, you know, like you don't get 12 catches if you're just kind of like kind of slowly. You don't just you know, get to line up and, and right. all of a sudden 12 catches come to you. Yeah, and it's like, and so he does a good job in contested catch situations. So yeah, like the offense, I, that's one thing I feel relatively good about in this game is like they don't run the ball particularly efficiently. Like Tony Pollard, I think it's like 940 yards on the year. He's like four yards per carry, which is the lowest of his career. They obviously, you can see that in the Detroit game, they struggle a little bit when they've got to run it and like got to have it running situations. That's not how the offense is built. Um, so I think, you know, they are a team that wants to throw the ball and do that kind of thing, but um, when you look at what the commanders have been over the last couple of weeks since Ron's taken over, I do think there is this kind of fits what they do better. You know, they play better coverages. There's not a lot of coverage bust. It's really straightforward. They're, you know, you can kind of understand who they are. They're trying to get the ball to CD. Uh, Cooks is kind of the auxiliary option there. Um, they got two good tight ends, but it's it's not like this. You, where you're just getting crushed with the pen every single play, the way it is yeah. with Kyle, the way it is with. Um, Sean. So I, I think that that is something that gives me a little bit of solace that the defense might be able to, again, I think they're probably going to give up between 24 and 30 points. Like I, that's what I think as long as the offense doesn't turn the football over, but at least that's like a more tenable game. I think in terms of game flow, um, then we've seen yes. then we saw the first game, for example. Yes. The last one again was Jack Del Rio's final game. Um, so, you know, gotta be, gotta be better than that. I think, I think there's a phrase that, um, we use sometimes in the fitness world because it kind of, uh, emanated from Exos, uh, which is this premier workout facility out in Arizona for folks that don't know. And Mark Verstegen, the founder, uh, talked about doing simple things savagely well. And like, that's the phrase that I think comes to mind for me for this Dallas offense is like, is it this crushing you with the pen, uh, to use your term every single snap? No. But if on a key third down, will they do this simple little short motion to get CD a, a free release? And then Dak knows that he's got a shot with his number one guy. 
right? Yeah, they will. And it's simple, but they do it super well. They execute at a high level, and they pick good times. And the other thing that, that's made their offense so good this year, um, and this was highlighted uh, on that, that Saturday night game against Detroit by the broadcast, is when that stuff doesn't work, Dak has been arguably the best scrambler in the league, um, especially yeah. on third down. He has been incredibly efficient as a scrambler, both scrambling to pass, uh, but also scrambling to run and picking up first downs at, at I believe, uh, the league best rate. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two plays that illustrate those points really well. I think it's the first drop back of the game for Dallas. They just motioned to a bunch, and they motioned CD to the inside of the bunch. I can't remember if he's lined up there ahead of time, but they you know, run their routes. He runs a five-yard out, and it's a completion. So, great, but then he breaks a tackle and ends up being right. like a 50-yard gain, and that's the first pass. So, there was nothing super exciting about that. You know, you got a bunch. You got to match it. They matched it fairly well, missed the tackle, and ends up being an explosive play because that's what CD brings. He brings that – not A.J. Brown physicality, but he brings a certain type of physical toughness. Like, he's hard to tackle. He's competitive at the catch point, like we already said. So, did that. And then there's the play where they're backed up. I think it's third and 13. They're on their goal line. Uh, uh, Detroit is playing one or they're playing zero. They bring basically an all-out pressure. They have a free run to the quarterback, and Dak ducks out of it. Great yep. job by Dak. Buys a little bit of time and then hits CD for, I want to say, like a 98-yard completion. It was, yeah, so, it was a 92-yard touchdown. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, that went from a safety, like legitimate safety, to explosive play for Dallas because Dak's playing really good football at the moment. And so, I think both those plays kind of encapsulate what you're talking about there. And I, I think it's very clear. We're talking about Dak. We're talking about CD and what they bring. And that's really the offense I also think it's important to point out like their offensive line is playing really good football as well from a pass protection standpoint, because like they're they're kind of running, I want to say, a, a relatively similar offense to what we're running here. And so there's a lot of pressure on that group to pass protect at a high level. And obviously, Tyron Smith is not who he was five or six years ago, but is still playing good ball. Uh, Zach Martin playing good football. Um, Tyler Smith, the rookie that last year, first yeah. round pick, like they, he's out though, I believe. Is he? Um, he yeah, so, yeah. That I'm saying, foot injury that he sustained on Saturday, I think, is going to keep him out for a while. But those guys are playing really well, yeah. and so like I think that's a big feature of their success, and obviously they're really well coached. But you know, like the offense is it it's, it is that relationship between Dak and CD, and um, like you said, they don't do a lot of crazy stuff, but they do enough to kind of just keep you on your toes, and they've got enough playmakers to to be dangerous and and to the tune of being one of the best teams in football, one of the best offenses in football. And real quickly on Smith, um, actually does have a chance to play, uh, according to Mike McCarthy and what he said on Wednesday, despite tearing his plantar fascia. Dude, that's so a, funny. That's a sentence that you just, you only read about football players. Yeah, he tore his uh, plantar fascia, but he might play. So one of something crazy. So your plantar fascia, like everyone's had plantar fasciitis, most people, runners, whatever. So yeah. it's annoying and it hurts it really hurts bad. It hurts like hell. But I remember I had really bad patofasciitis in 2014, and the doctor was like, do you want us to just cut it? And I was like, what do you mean? It's like, we can go in and surgically just cut the planter, and then you won't feel it because it's not irritated anymore. And like your foot won't work exactly the same for the season, but it won't be painful anymore. And so they actually prefer it if it just rips all the way from a pain management standpoint. Fun fact about that. Yeah, but then your foot doesn't work. But it, so it, you can orthotic it and kind of help it keep its shape you know, and still play. Oh. I, and so I had a buddy in college who had, it was, he had terrible foot issues, tore it and then didn't miss a game. Like he just played the whole rest of the season. And obviously it's position dependent, like a receiver can't do it, but an offensive yeah. lineman, defensive tackle, sometimes linebackers can get away with it. So um, I wouldn't be nuts. surprised. I mean, it's, it's really just about pain management. Like they talk about like, as um, I said, y'all are nuts. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Gotta do what you gotta do coach. Yeah, that is, that is the truth. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. 
No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. Uh, on the other side of the ball, Ron Rivera announced Wednesday that Sam Howell will be the starter for Washington on Sunday. So this is the first time that a Washington quarterback will complete a season in terms of starting every game since, Logan, do you know? Uh, Kirk Cousins? Yes, that is correct. Kirk Cousins in 2017, his final season here. Um, So, I mean, Sam obviously had a decent... That's wild. What is that? That's six years? Six years? Yeah, 2017, which of course is both three and six years ago because the world just stopped turning in 2020, it feels like. I can't believe we're in 2024 now. I know, crazy. Um, But 2023 season, yeah, that would be be six seasons, I believe, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. So, yeah. There you go. There's the math, uh, finger finger counting and all. Um, and like Sam last time against these guys was solid, uh, you know, in the first half. And then things went super sideways late. Uh, the game got way out of hand through the the pick six to Deron Bland late to, to make it extra embarrassing in terms of the final score line when you look back yeah. at it. Um, you know, this Dallas defense, I think, is going to come out extremely hungry. Like, it's important to remember Dallas has everything to play for here. They have uh, the NFC East on the line and, and thus the home playoff game with it, the two seed um, where they get to host uh, a potential second round playoff game as well. And, you know, depending on what happens to the Niners, if the Niners were to get upset, they could host the NFC championship game. Uh, mm-hmm. So that that home field advantage, super important to them. Um, but you, you got to admit or you got to think like a guy like Micah Parsons is going to come out with his hair on fire uh, with that kind of game on the line. Tank Lawrence was also phenomenal for them Saturday against Detroit. Um, but what, you know, considering you're probably down three offensive linemen again, uh, same kind of situation you're dealing with last week for Washington. Like, how do you scheme it up? How do you protect Sam and, and allow him to, to finish out, uh, you know, with, with hopefully another at least OK, at least what he did last week, if not better? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing, and we've talked about this a ton this year, but I think it's especially important versus this group is I just look at that Buffalo game and what Buffalo did uh, three weeks ago, two weeks ago now, and they just said, basically, come out, we're going to be in our kind of gun formations and we're going to run the ball a ton because they play these like exceptionally light boxes. They have like that, um, you know, they have this vaunted pass rush of guys that kind of cycle in, you know. Yeah. Uh, number 97 to Dunze for them is a, is a 280 pound kind of converted defensive end who rushes inside Micah Parsons, 250. The linebacker that they have in there is a converted safety. I think he's like 205 pounds and it lo- allows them to play with incredible team speed, run all these games, do all this stuff, but they're not built necessarily to stop the run. And so I think if I, w- if I'm Eric, I'm going to look at what B Rob did last week. I'm going to look at what Gibson did last week in terms of run the football and be like, I'm okay with committing to this a little bit this week and just kind of imp- imposing our will, getting him in these light structures and running the ball. And I know we've talked about that a lot and Eric has not done that necessarily, but I think if there's a team to do it against, it's this one, like they're first in the NFL in pressures. They're like third in the NFL against the pass. They're 20th against the rush. Like they're not overly efficient. And so if you can scheme it up with the pen, put those running backs in that offensive line in an advantage- advantageous situation, I think you're going to be okay because you know, you mentioned the pass protection. I was actually super impressed with the offensive line, as we talked about on the on the review pod. Like yeah. they did a great job in terms of pass protection. Like Cornelius Lucas, I think is a better, is a more consistent pass protector than Charles Leno. I think you lose stuff in the run game, you lose stuff on yep. screens because he's you know he's six eight, three thirty. Like he doesn't move quite the same way. 
But I thought Trent Scott deserves a ton of credit, man. He looked like a physical football player. He did a great job against uh, Nick Bosa. And Gates had a very competitive football game. And Cosme's playing like the top offensive lineman in the NFL at guard. So like it, it's a pretty solid group. And I think just lean on them a little bit this game. You know, like I, I think yeah, we'll lean on them in the right way, right? Like that yeah. was the, that's the thing too is like last week they did have more balance early and you can lean on them in the run game. And yeah. as opposed to leaning on them to strain for three and a half seconds against Micah Parsons and Tang Lawrence and all those dudes in the past game. Yeah. And I think they, obviously they've shown, and again, the, the, the numbers support this in terms of total pressure rate that the offensive line over the season has given up that they can, they could do that. But I think, yeah, like trust them as, as blockers, trust their physicality and let them lean on stuff a little bit. Cause I think one of the things that stuck out to me about the first matchup is, is, EB wanted to run the football and then in short uh, third down in short situations, he or fourth down in short situations. He also wanted to run, run the ball. I think Dallas is acutely aware of what they're like, not great at, which is stopping the run. So they run a lot of games and and run stopping line stunts. So if you, in those situations, be aware of that stuff and adjust kind of your game plan. Uh, so that, that, that would be my thought is just lean into what they don't do. Well, deleverage Sam, let that offensive line who's playing pretty good, do some good stuff for you and kind of hope the defense can contain them to 24 points. And hopefully you've scored 21 with an opportunity to kick a field goal later, whatever it is, you know? So um, I I think again, like I'm not, my confidence in Sam is down a little bit, but I do think he still is a very talented, very gifted quarterback. And I look back to that first matchup and I say to myself, like that was the game that kind of started the slide a little bit for me in terms of watching him. Because this back end of the defense, they know they know where their bread is buttered. They know that front, whether they're blitzing, whether they're running stunts, whether they're just winning straight up rushes, is going to force you to get the ball out in two seconds. And so they take crazy chances. But if we can kind of slowly, methodically earn those opportunities to push the football down the field, I think Seattle's another great example of that. You know, picking your matchup with DK on bland and really exploiting that. Because I think that's something you could probably do with Terry as well. Is like say, hey, Let's find ways to kind of create isolation basketball here. That's our matchup. Sam, let's make this throw, make this right. I think that's something that we can do pretty consistently. He showed he could do it against San Fran. So, like, can we earn those opportunities and can we be okay punting in this game is something that sticks out to me because I think this defense, when it's an obvious passing situation or when they know you're going to throw the football a ton, is probably is probably the best group we've faced all season. And we've faced some very good defenses, so. Yeah, no, they're incredible up front. And the thing I would say with running the football too, Detroit saw this for sure on Saturday night. You can't get discouraged by a negative play because Parsons is going to make some. Like Parsons is going to beat his guy and just juke out an alignment and have a tackle for minus two. But the next time he might juke himself out of his rush lane or out, out, out of his assignment, out of his gap, and you might bust a 20 yarder. So yeah. you have to you have to be willing to take and this is the run game in general and I think this is part of EB's kind of you know reluctance to run the football at times this year is you look at the average and they're pretty darn good. Yeah. Uh, but occasionally like you get one bad one and you get behind the sticks and then it's like oh we got to pass the ball. We can't be doing that again. And it's like well what do you think happens when you can take sacks? Like that's yeah. you're even farther behind the sticks typically. So uh, you just have to be willing to to accept the fact that Parsons is going to make some plays and keep keep doing the thing that you know will work over the course of the long term. Yeah, and I think when you look at that, I think that's a great point. I think Detroit had six explosive runs in that game, which by PFF is a run over 12 yards or something like that. So they they were able to find explosive opportunities in a very competitive football game. And I think, again, that deleverages your quarterback a little bit. Yeah. If you watch the Buffalo game, I think they had seven maybe explosive runs. Like you can find explosive rushing opportunities here because, again, physically, obviously, Michael Parsons is a beast. But the the way they're built defensively, like who they want to be is not that. And I think um, I think if you can exploit that, exploit it, right? Find ways to exploit those matchups. And, and I really look back and on first and second down, when I watched the cut up of the first game, they ran the ball pretty efficiently on first and second down. So it's like there was a couple zero yard runs in there, but there's also a counter for 15. There's a counter for 20. They, they did some things. You're like, okay, like let's, let's lean into that a little bit more in this matchup. I think, because you don't want to be in a boat race last game of the season with a team that's got something to play for. No, for sure. Um, and the last game of the season part always makes me kind of chuckle um, because I think back to you know, a game that you played in in, in 2014 when, uh, or sorry, 2013 
when Kyle uh, and Mike knew they were yes. getting fired. That's right. And uh, that affected the play calling that particular day. It and there's a, there's a tiny piece of me that wonders, does EB go, all right, you mother bleepers <laughs> want me to run the football? I'm going to run it every freaking down. Watch this. Yeah. Uh, or, or something wacky. Um, or wacky the other jokes. way, which would be really bad. I mean, um, Kyle went the other way. I think he threw it yeah, Kyle, times. Kyle, yeah, Kyle was like, I got a point to prove. We're throwing the football every single time. You guys want to see what this looks like? All right, let's party. Uh, and it was it Kirk, right? The drop back yeah. a thousand times in that game. I think it was 70 dropbacks. You know, like it was something crazy like that. And I just remember being soaking wet. No one could catch the football. It was miserable and windy. That was one of the worst games I've ever played in, like just from a weather standpoint. Yeah. And it lasted forever because yeah. – Oh, I Kime still complains about it, and he was sitting in the press box. Uh, nevertheless, having to be out there running a thousand routes because Kyle's just pissed off at everybody. It's like I'm going to prove a point. I'm going to burn it down on my way out the door. Right. Uh, so there's that. Who knows what wacky bits could be in store for Sunday? Uh, we'll all find out. Of course, we'll talk about it. We'll preview uh, probably not the wacky bits because we don't know what's coming. Uh, right. But we'll, we'll do our best to preview the game. Uh, one more time, 1 o'clock at TAP Sports Bar, MGM National Harbor. Come hang out with us for the Take Command pregame show. Of course, you can hang out the entire show uh, for us on that one because uh, the doors will be open. All the games will be on. Or you can catch us on YouTube at 106.7 The Fan and the Team 980. Of course, uh, that show is a, is a radio show primarily, so you can listen to us as you drive around on your Sunday as well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day, your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take a Man podcast from Odyssey Sports. That's Logan Paulson. I am Craig Hoffman. And uh, the end of the season, Logan, people start to be uh, a little more forthcoming with, with their answers uh, on certain topics. And uh, Jahan Dotson was asked yesterday by Scott Abraham about the culture in the commander's locker room. And here's how that went. You're in between the lines. What do you think this team needs going forward next year to kind of get more wins, get over the hump? Um, I would say as far as players, just a, a sense of culture. Um, you know, just we, we got to have a mindset in here that we we want change. Uh, we we can't we can't just accept this this type of stuff because this is really hard on a lot of people. Um, and I know a lot of people come from winning backgrounds, uh, so we we got to bring that stuff in here. We we can't accept anything but winning honestly um and that, that starts with us players um no matter who the coaches are uh yeah it starts with us uh we we gotta bring our best foot um and make sure that we go out every sunday and, and bring it when you say culture is that is that on the players or do, do the coaches feed into that um i, I feel like it, it's everyone but you know it, i feel like the best teams uh that you see in any sport are player led um your, your captains they, they step up um, and everyone really follows because when you when you're surrounded by by guys who are hungry and want to win, you know it it trickles down. Uh, it's a domino effect. So I feel like that, that's where we we can start. That audio, courtesy of ABC Seven. Um, 
Logan, you hear that. I, I certainly have a lot of thoughts, shared some of them on the radio already, uh, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll rehash some of what I think here. But first, I'd, I'd be curious what you think when you hear that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that's one of those uh, comments where it's, I think he's trying to take a personal accountability. You know, he's kind of saying it's on the players and a good player will do that. Um, but I think obviously Scott and the rest of the media is like drawing maybe a correlation to some other things, other factors when it comes to leadership and building a culture. Um, and what I will say is like culture is a funny word. It's like so ambiguous and it's very hard to kind of define. I think, you know, Jahan alluded to like perhaps, you know, developing a winning culture for, you know, and I think like I've been a part of teams that have been led in both ways. Um, obviously the teams in 2010, 11, 12, I think were very player led teams. Obviously you had one of the most dynamic leaders that I, I that I ever played with in London Fletcher. And I think Mike deserves a lot of credit for kind of empowering the right people and encouraging that type of leadership, obviously. And, and Fletch was, was fantastic. And it was an older team. And the, all those older guys were, were really good pros. They set good examples for the young guys. You know, you know, Lorenzo Alexander, obviously, Kedrick Golson, Reed Dowdy, really high character guys, really high character locker room that could tolerate, um, you know, that, that would not tolerate certain things. And as a result, like, I, I think that's that would, I would characterize that as a team that was very player led and player driven. Then I go to a team like Atlanta, where Dan Quinn had developed this tremendous culture in the building and this tremendous um, you know, kind of work environment that was awesome. But then the player, the continuity of the players was a very young team. They didn't have a lot of maturity and the older players at the time, you know, Matt Ryan, while being a very dynamic leader offensively, I was having a hard time relating to the younger population at that point in his career. So obviously <clears throat> I think people want to say, oh, it's, it's the players, it's the coaches, but it's really the dynamic between the two. And I think it's crazy in the NFL how dramatically that can change you know, in, in year to year, because like the, the roster turnover is so crazy. So I think, you know, I think people are going to make a lot of this soundbite. And I kind of understand why to a certain extent. But I think that ultimately, um, I agree with what he's saying. Like, this is a player thing. Like, and when you look at this situation specifically, like, you know, we don't know if it's for sure, we all anticipate big changes in terms of coaching staff. But players are kind of the lifeblood of the organization, especially players like John and Duran and players are going to be here for a long time. So their leadership is going to be um, extremely important. I, I don't think Jahan's being critical of them necessarily, but I do think he's calling attention to something that um, he'd like to see change. Yeah. I mean, I do, th I do think it's interesting when he mentioned specifically the captains and I just, I don't know the relationship between he and Terry or and I, Terry is obviously in his room. Um, so the relationship there is going to be, more important for him as a fellow wide receiver but obviously john is kind of one of the key voices if not the key voice in the room and i when you talk about that relationship between players and coaches one of the things that i wonder about and this is i i'm gonna be very clear here there are times that i know things and i wink nod and i'm like i wonder hey hey i don't know anything here this is me purely speculating just kind of watching what has happened um and and not even speculating me truly like wondering like John is a guy that I remember after his rookie year, his, the way he answered questions at the end on like locker cleanout day. I remember going on the junkies the day after going, I don't care what they do this off season. If they don't put a C on that guy's chest, they've made a mistake. Like mm. he is so important with how he thinks about the game and winning and all this kind of stuff. Still pretty fresh off Nick Saban school and, and all of that. And you watch how Chase and Montez, but really Chase emerged as a very loud voice in the same room and not necessarily always in a constructive way. And I just wonder if John kind of felt like sick of it and neutered to an extent and that undercut his voice as someone who was trying to lead in a certain direction and maybe there was some tension pulling in opposite directions. And that can happen within a locker room and sometimes it can be healthy, but obviously in this particular case, uh, it hasn't. It certainly hasn't been healthy enough to produce wins. Uh, it doesn't feel like based off the comments coming out and some of the things that we've heard that, that the, the culture is great uh, in that locker room. And I do wonder, you know, being a little hands-off uh, or perhaps too hands-off if you're Ron, did you allow the wrong voices? Because you, you talk about how Mike did a really good job of, of making sure that Fletch was the guy that was heard. And so the, the way I would look at it on a big picture scale is this. I think that you need to have the illusion of being player led. It's actually not. It's really, it starts at the very top of the organization of having a clear vision for what you want, empowering the right people. And if you don't have them, bringing in the right people 
and then making sure that the standard is set to a point that they're enforcing your standard. And so maybe as a coach or an executive, you don't have to be the enforcer of the culture, but you need to, you do need to set it. And I don't know that that was done particularly well over the four years that Ron was here. Um, and there could be a variety of reasons from disharmony on the coaching staff itself uh, and, and some lack of continuity and, and lack of communication, which we've talked about in the past, different visions. Um, and it could be big things or little things, different visions of like, it seemed like Ron and Scott had different visions of the offense. And this year, the, the coordinator they bring in didn't really seem to match the way they built the team. And so there's these points of friction that makes it really hard for players to even understand what they want the culture to be and what they want the kind of messaging and thought processes to be in the first place. And so, again, I go back to that phrase, like the illusion of player-led, but it's actually because they're just enforcing something where everyone's all on the same page from top to bottom of the organization. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I – I mean, obviously, in this situation, I don't disagree with the way you characterize that. There does seem to be a little bit of, um, you know, uh, yeah, friction's a good word between kind of the vision of per certain members of the staff. And, the you know, I've had conversations where it's like, oh – you know, this person wasn't coaching this the way we wanted it to be coached and blah, 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 blah. Right. And, and that, that does, that does affect the, the ability for the players to play good football. And I ultimately think it's important to note that like good culture and winning culture, like they're, they're really closely connected. Right. So I think back to like the, the, the Dan Quinn example. And like I said, he's got a great culture. It was awesome to come to work, really enjoyed the environment there. Right. But they weren't winning and it really negatively impacted the buy-in to that right right so i think like even um you know even with with mike for example like obviously like you know 2012 the culture is great everything's awesome and then <laughs> 13 two, it's the one that ends in kyle <laughs> throwing the ball 70 times at the end right. of the season and so i think like as much as you want to say like it's it's this one thing or this one relationship or whatever like not winning football games is a big part of it, right? Because Ron might be, have the, like, you know, I've heard recently that guys are really stoked on Ron being the defensive coordinator. They just like his energy. They like the vibe that he's bringing in. And that's cool to hear. But, you know, that's like not a sustainable thing necessarily if you're losing a bunch of games. Because people say, well, it's not, it doesn't, it's not positively affecting the outcome of anything. So you get a lot, a lot of guys who don't buy in. Um, and so I think, I, so back to the main point, it's like, I don't think it's, I don't think there's an illusion of player-led teams. I think there are player-led teams. I think there are coaches that are courageous enough to let that happen, and you have to have the right team for it, right? And I yeah. think, like, um, you know, like one thing about this team that I've, I've said a bunch is they don't, and this is maybe new CBA issues that you're going to have to deal with when you're constructing a roster, is there's no, like, middle class of the roster anymore. There's not that, like, seven, eight-year vet that's hanging around on, like, a you know, five million for three year type of contract that's been around that knows how to be a pro that can provide some kind of foundational support for the rest of the roster. It's like you have old dudes, you have young dudes, and you have way more young dudes than you have old dudes. So the leadership dynamic in the locker room is drastically different, I think. And I think that's something that needs to be acknowledged. And every team is going through it at the NFL, but I look at like the Baltimore Ravens, for example, and they've done a good job of kind of saying, and I don't know how they've done this through their GM and through their probably their vision, their their team vision. You always talk about team vision and soccer and stuff like that of prioritizing certain guys in leadership roles that are veterans that are, you know, like Picard for them. Like they could have easily let Picard walk this offseason, but they've right. kept him around. He's a culture piece for them. The linebackers, right? Culture pieces. And so I think that's that's something that those are decisions that are made. Right. And so, like, who are the culture pieces here? Because you can't just have two guys with captains on their chest and be like, that. those are our culture pieces. It's like in the example of the 2012 team, which, again, was one of the best team-led, you know, player-led teams I've ever been on. Obviously, you had Fletch, who's like the guy, right? But right. then you had all of these kind of offensive – you had all these guys that were like in the middle, guys that you – that were going to do the extra stuff. Like I mentioned Zoe, Kedrick, um, the offensive line guys like Will Montgomery – Corey Lichtensteiger, those guys were great because they held a standard not only in their own room, but like for the offense. You said, oh, those are the guys that are pros, pros. And so I look at this team and I'm kind of like, do they have anybody that is not the top, not the bottom, but the middle? And so like, again, when we're talking about, you, you mentioned the coaching staff. I also think in terms of roster construction, there's a little bit of an issue here in terms of right. kind of saying, what is our culture and who are the guys that have been around long enough to kind of embody and embrace that culture and then teach that culture to the new guys coming in. So that's why this is such a complicated thing. And 
I think it's 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 even more of an issue, quite honestly, when you're not winning football games. Because I've been a part of teams with bad cultures, like bad standards, but you're winning games like at some point in the year and everything's great. Everything's awesome. You're like, oh, well, we're going to be good. It ends up being a losing culture long term. Right. But it's fine while you're winning, I guess is what I'm saying. No, totally. Um, and there, there's a hundred percent that where like, if you win, it just covers up a lot of stuff. And there's been teams that I've covered where you just look around and you go, man, if this thing goes sideways, it's going to be bad. Like it's going to blow up in a bad way. Cause they're, they're winning right. for other reasons right, right now, but you also do occasionally have teams that really do stick together through the, the crap of a season or they, they look at it and they're like, we're just not doing what we need to do. Or like we've had bad injury luck or just schedules really hard. And, but like, we still believe we have what we need in the locker room. And I think there was some of that to, to an extent for part of this season, but I think that is, that is long gone. Um, there, there's a couple things you said there that I think are interesting that also play back to Jahan's, uh, Jahan's quote. And, and the, the biggest one I think is the willingness to change. And I wonder how much that is a direct callback to some of the friction with Eric earlier in the season. Mm -hmm. And, Maybe. you know, like the willingness to be open to doing things differently. And this is where winning also matters because you talk about buy-in, like the, these things mesh, you know, causation, correlation, 100%, where if you do something new, if you ask people to do something new and it works, they'll continue to do it. And if it doesn't work, then they're going to be like, why are we changing all this stuff? Why are you upsetting the way I do things? Why are you making things harder? Why am I grinding this much more? Why am I this, that, the other thing when it, there's no payoff? And in fact, this season has been worse than any of the others that they've had in the last four years. This is the worst season of Rivera's tenure. And so if, if guys had questions coming in, I think there's, there's both on the player side, like to Jahan's point, are guys willing to do what it takes? Are they willing to learn from an Eric Bieniemy who's been there? You talk about like that middle management level, if you will, from a guy like Andrew Wiley. And I, I know that Wiley is not is the opposite of a fan favorite. He's had his struggles at times this year, but like he played on a Super Bowl winner. Right. So if he comes in and is like, "Hey guys, this is how we need to be doing this. We need to do these extra things, or watch this extra film, or whatever," are people willing to listen to someone like an Andrew Wiley who's coming in from the outside? And also does make key mistakes at, at big points in games. And it's like, why would I listen to you? Like you just got Sam hit from his blind side or, you know, hit in his face. Um, so I, I think that there is that element too of the willingness from the players. But then the other side of this, if I'm going to look at it from the coaching side is, do you as a coach meet people where they are? And I don't know that Eric specifically is that kind of guy. Eric has a very set way of doing know. things. We don't know. We, yeah. we, there's there's rumors and things, but just to be clear. Well, like, I'm just we saying, like, he's, he is a guy that is, like, he, he said this. Like, this is yeah, not. I know, but, I'm just, not saying, me, but like, I'm just saying, like, we don't, we're not in the meeting room is what I'm saying. Right. Just for people listening. Yeah, no, we're not, we're not in the meeting room for sure. But it's, like, if Eric is, like, my way or the highway, and this is the way we do things, this is the way that I do things, and I know it works, and you're not willing to meet guys where they are and bring them to where you want to go, that's not going to work either. Yeah. And so it's not that Eric is wrong about the way that he wants to do things. It's just that it's it's getting the guys to come along with you. Did he do the things he needed to do to build those bridges, knowing that you had guys coming from a different way of doing things that ha might have some different thoughts, and some of whom who had been very successful in their careers, presumably. Um, you know, so we, we just we don't know. But those are the kind of things that I think, you know, if you're doing the the dissection, like those are the questions you'd want to answer. Yeah, 100 percent. And I, I also think like leadership and culture, like it, there's such a psychology element to it. Like, you know, yeah. I do the high school football coaching thing and we had like a very interesting season, you know, where it's, you know, the head coach had to step away for a little bit. And then when he came back, like and they're high school kids, but in some ways it like magnifies leadership. It magnifies culture in a way that I thought think is very unique because in the NFL and in college, college, not so much, but in the NFL, for sure, there's like a professionalism that hides some of the cultural deficiencies, right? Because everyone is kind of like, I'm a private contractor. I have to do the best for myself. And there's this external and internal motivation. They're like this very type A people most of the time. So it, I think it covers up a lot of cultural deficiencies. Like when you're in the locker room, like you won't be able to tell, but in high school, I think it's more they wear it on their sleeve a little bit more. And so what I was going to say is like when the coach came back, like we were running this essentially the same. Everything was the same. When he came back, there was like an uptick in 
players, right? Because they just believed in what this guy was doing a little bit more. And so I think like that's something else about um, just culture that is so ambiguous and why there's a million books written about it, right? It's because there's no perfect formula and there's no like, this is the definitively the right way to do it. But I think it's like kind of to your point, like there is a, a way to maximize the 53 dudes on the team that is different for each team, right? Yeah. Like what works in, you know, what works in New England, like if he came here like next, next week and said, this is, and just, there was no change or no like transition. Yes, correct. Um, That would be really challenging. I think you get a lot of pushback from him, you know, in terms of what Bill Belichick and his leadership style and the culture that he has purported to have in New England. So I do think there's a lot of that about kind of finding the right mix for what your players need, for what your team needs. And it's different for everybody. Like we just talked about this team and the construction and all these different things. So um, I think that's one of the things that makes it really hard. And it makes it especially hard when you're not winning football games. It makes it really, really hard to kind of keep any kind of cultural identity, any type of cultural vision. And you've pointed out some of the things, you know, like position coaches, like I think back to the Sam Mills thing, you know, like, and that was obviously something where he's not coaching it the way that Jack wants it to be coached. And that you know, undermines that room and sets that room back for a couple of years and makes that room kind of, like you said, like you alluded to maybe the fact that John is frustrated by Chase and because Chase isn't doing what Sam wants or what Jack wants and there's no accountability. And obviously, so it's, I think there's a lot of things with this team with regards to culture, but I just wanted to point out that like, there's no, there's no magic formula. Like the new guy coming in, like is not going to be able to be like this, this is the road to good culture. You'll have to come in evaluate the team and be like, these are some things I think we could do differently from a cultural standpoint. And uh, I think that's the thing about this. That's so about Jahan's comments specifically that are so interesting because he's not wrong to say it's a player thing and you're not wrong to insinuate that it's a coach's thing because every team, like I alluded to, like when I was talking about my career is different and the, the mixture of getting that done is hard. And I think having a, a coach and a team and, and leaders on the team, a, a leadership in the coaching room and the coaches on the or leaders on the team that understand that it's different it, is what makes what makes a good culture. And it's really hard yeah. to find people like that. To be clear about what I'm saying, I'm not saying it's it's a coach thing versus a player thing. I'm saying no, it's a cohesion thing. No, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, think yeah. We're saying I, I know thing. I know it's, you you get what I'm saying, just to, to be clear for the audience. Like it is a cohesion thing. It is can you get everybody on the same page? And I think, like, for instance, to go back to the John example, like, did John all of a sudden become a bad leader? No. I think John got sick of some stuff, and he's a human being. And so maybe his leadership fell off this year because he was just tired of seeing some of the other people get away with stuff that in the winning culture that he was used to at Alabama, right, that's his example. That's his version of, of what this winning culture looks like which Nick Saban runs the tightest of ships, a, 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 a version, by the way, that would not really work probably very well in the NFL because all of a sudden the, the power structures are different from college to the pros with contracts and grown men with families versus college kids. But like the, the level of looseness, um, which Ron has had success with because he could trust guys like Luke Keekley, et cetera, in his right. past – um, and, and, and trust know, a little your, bit more and trust your coordinators too. I think that's the other right. thing is like, that's kind of the, you know, cause I, I, like I said, I think when Ron took over his DC, like there was a, a cultural shift in the defense, yeah. right? Schematic shift and a cultural shift, which again, no, no criticism of, of Jack here necessarily. It was just different, but the guys responded better to it. Right. And I think right. like, that's something that, um, again, like you were kind of alluding to at the beginning is like, Ron is one piece, but the, 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 the roots of that tree of the coaching staff are, are really kind of your cultural, you know, propagators here. And I think yeah. that's something else that were those guys in the best positions all the time. I don't know. So, yeah. And then the front office side of it too, is like, who do you bring in and empower? And like, how much does that matter in your scouting? I know for a fact when the old regime was here that some of the high up personnel, maybe not a Bruce Allen, but like the Kyle Smith's of the world, and some of the people on that scouting staff really prioritized certain types of guys. And that's right. why John Allen was, was targeted, by the way. Right. It's like, we want this dude to be, as our first round pick, the captain of the football team. Like, was James, like I like Jamin's progression as a football player uh, in a lot of ways, but like, I don't think that he was ever drafted with the idea of like, oh, that's going to be the, the captain leader of our team. 
and yeah. who you prioritize and what skill sets you prioritize from like the makeup standpoint of who your best players are matters a lot too. And, and I think that's something too about like that 2012 team, for instance, you have the the middle management, if you will, the Lorenzo Alexander, who's a pro bowler, by the way, um, but on special teams, but like London Fletcher on top of being your, your leader is also one of your best players. Mm-hmm. And that's really important too, is like, do you have, and that's why like, I think from a Terry and John standpoint, like you're okay. Um, but do you have other people that are willing to follow them? Do you have other people up and down that roster? Do you have that middle level of player? And, you know, are the people that you're bringing in with the hopes of being your best players, the type of leadership character guys that are going to make your football team maximized. And I, and I don't know that that was always prioritized here, or maybe it was, and they missed on the evaluation because that happens too. Well, I also think it's just like understanding like what you have in the building too. It's, it's, and, it, and because of this, there's so much turnover here all the time. Like, you know, the, yeah. the roles aren't defined. There's a COVID year. Ron's got cancer. Like the whole, all that 100%. makes it really hard to have a clear perspective. But I look at like, you know, we talked about Dewan Jones a lot during the draft in the last cycle. And there was a lot of character concerns about him. Right. And so I do think it's the team did a good job of saying, like, even though he's uber talented, he doesn't fit here. But Cleveland, like, look at the group that they have there. Look at the coach they have there. Like they can tolerate that because they know that they have the infrastructure to support a player like that. And I think like that's something that that self-awareness that you're talking about is really, really hard to come by with with teams. Right. And I think the thing we're going to talk about this more with draft stuff and the importance of meetings at draft day and all those types of things. But the problem with the draft is there's only there's only one John Allen. There's one guy who's a really good football player who's wired the right way, who's a good leader. Like very rarely do you have a player that has all three of those traits, right? But how much do you want to prioritize like a skilled player and how much can your culture accommodate that guy? I remember with, um, with Sean, when Sean was here, they went out and signed to Sean Jackson. And there was, that was a guy that Mike probably wouldn't have signed, right? Cause Mike really, really, really valued kind of these blue collar tough guys. Think like, think about the receivers that were here at the time, like yeah, Pierre, Pierre Garçon, yeah. Josh Morgan, like, Santana Moss, like good pros, physical dudes. And Deshaun just didn't fit that. But I remember talking to Sean. He was like, I think, I think our culture can handle him. Right. I think our culture can, can, can tolerate that. And it was really interesting to watch his, you know, he's a great player, Deshaun and a pretty good teammate to be quite honest, like, you know, no complaints about him, but it was really interesting to watch him and his addition in conjunction with Jay's leadership style and how that kind of affected the locker room. If right. Mike had, but if Mike had been here still, I'm pretty confident, like he wouldn't have brought him in. But if he had, the rest of the team was had such high character that it wouldn't have tolerated some of the stuff that Deshaun was doing, like coming late to practice or missing treatment or whatever. Like, but that was some, but again, like that's how one piece, one change, one difference can totally impact or erode, um, erode the culture of a locker room. For sure. We could do go forever on this. Yeah. Uh, there's so many different, I mean, as you said, there's been books written about it, uh, but that's going to do it for today. It's something that we'll talk about when, you know, as the new people come in, yeah. like how do they build it um, through the draft? So we'll be touching on this quite a bit throughout the off season. Uh, and if you want more, my thoughts on it, uh, you can go to my YouTube page at Craig Hoffman, check out my segment uh, from right after uh, when Jahan said this yesterday or uh, on, on Wednesday, whatever day it is now. Anyway, our podcast is over. Thanks for listening. We'll see you at Tap Sports Bar for the final Take Command pregame show of the season on Sunday. For Logan, I'm Craig. Thanks for watching and listening to Take Command.